Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. It's Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, our phone lines are going to be open all throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so it is Farmer Friday. I've been talking to a lot of farmers and especially agronomists here over the last few days. Lots of challenges out in fields right now. Now, I'm not going to say I like to see challenges. I, I, I really don't. I hope that you have the best crops you've ever had. Uh, wouldn't it be fun if no you just drove by the field, threw a few seeds out the window, yep. and you had record yields? But seriously, I, I hope everything goes fantastic for you in your farm, and you don't ever have to call us. But... Um, I, I hate to say it, but I do kind of enjoy this season a little bit just because we get the opportunity to help people figure out what went right, what went wrong, and what can we do to make things better in the future. So here's one that I just had this morning. So I got some pictures and, and a text from an agronomist. He was out in a farmer's field and he said, all right, what do you think this looks like? Uh, he goes, I think it's potassium. And I go, I do too. It sure looks like potassium to me. And he, he just listed the herbicides that got used last year and this year and everything. But here's the thing. It's rare when there's only one problem on the farm that caused the issue that you see. So here's where I'm going with this. So he just made the comment that, well, the farmer put some manure on this spring. So, I mean, he should have some potassium out in the field. I agree. He probably does. But I said, here's what I, I really want to see. Send me soil samples and tissue samples from the areas that look bad, from one of the areas that look bad, okay? And then take soil tests and tissue tests from some area that looks good. So right away, you're probably going to be able to answer your own question. But where I'm going with all this is if we would not have had a dry year, like for this agronomist and in his area and this farmer, if we would not have had a dry year, the potassium problem may not have shown up. Now, could herbicide interact with that at all? Probably not so much in this case, but we are seeing other things where, yeah, the herbicide probably was 10% of the problem. There was 60% of the problem to this and 20% to that. You see where I'm going with this. There are a lot of things that kind of tie together. So the the important thing is to try to figure out what did did go wrong because even though next year is going to be a different year. Next year, if this year you're dry, next year you might be wet or vice versa, whatever. The point is you just want to try to figure out as much as you can and learn from that so in the future you can make your changes and hopefully you have a little bit more weatherproofed your crop. I, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. Like with potassium, the, the problem is you need so much of it. We talked about potassium often on the show because it's the number one nutrient need for corn plants. It's number one. You need roughly, I don't remember what the exact number is, 20, 30, 40% more potassium than you do nitrogen even. It's crazy. And potassium goes into the plant with water. So when you're short on water, then it's harder to get the potassium in. So right away, a lot of people go, well, there's nothing I could do. We just didn't have rain. Well, there actually is something you can do. You can have more potassium in that soil. 
in especially if we're talking about a heavy soil we don't usually see a lot of these issues in sand and irrigation and that kind of stuff so generally speaking we have these potassium deficiency issues in dry areas dry land farming and it's heavy soils so what I'm trying to say here is if you put more potassium out than the crop really needs this year and you get your soil built up, it's not that big a deal. Because if you don't use the potassium this year, you're going to use it next year or the year after or the year after that. Another thing that I'll often say on the show here is just think on your farm. Where's the best ground? Could it possibly be where dad or grandpa hauled manure? We have certainly seen that even on our own farm where you go, huh, I wonder why this area is so good. And then it's like, well, yeah, but don't you remember dad told us a story about grandpa hauled all kinds of manure there. <laughs> it's like, what? Something that was done 40 or 30 years ago could have that much impact on today's yield? Yes, yes. And that's what I'm trying to say to you. If you're seeing these potassium issues, and maybe it's just certain spots in your field, you can you can say, well, I, I just, I, I can't solve anything unless I get rain. Well, you can. So if you're willing to, at some point when the economics are good for you on your farm, if you can afford it, you put some extra fertilizer out there, you're going to reap the benefits of that. And it's, it's one of the things too, like for me, when I was a young farmer, you know, and you don't have a lot of money and stuff. And I, I, I got good advice from Midwest Labs and, and it was Dick Goff in particular. And he was telling me to load stuff up. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's going to cost me some money. But sure enough, I mean, right away it impacted yields positively. And then we have just continued to learn from there, figure out, okay, how do we fine tune this? Uh, continue to try to build as much as we can, but we, we don't want to go overboard. But by the same token, if you build things right, then you're, you're just more weather tolerant. So that's a really big deal. We talked on the show a little bit yesterday. I, I, we had a situation where a farmer thought it was iron deficiency chlorosis. It was actually HPPD carryover. And he, he, I learned a little bit more about that, and I just want to share something quick. So normally we will tell you impact or armazon, they're the same active ingredient. Impact and armazon are the HPPDs that have the least carryover compared to Callisto or Laudis. Um this was actually an Armazon carryover issue. And I go, what? Why? And so my next question, my next follow-up immediately was, let me let me see the soil tests. Well, I don't have them. Okay, we'll get them. <laughs> I want to see the soil tests. Because here's my guess. We had a high pH situation, maybe high salt, high sodium, all things that would negatively impact breakdown of a herbicide from the year before. And then also, if you figure late spring in North Dakota in a drought year, when it's cold, and last last winter was one of the coldest on record, you go, huh, maybe there just wasn't time, the soil wasn't breaking it down normally. And so this is one of the things our dad always talked to us about, about 1976, that bad drought year. He said that next year, we planted corn on corn, beans on beans, wheat on wheat, so we didn't have to worry about any of those carryover type issues. And we had all this fertilizer carried over too, because we didn't have much crop. So just things for you to think about when you're dealing with some of these big weather challenges. Stay tuned. We're going to get to the phone lines right after this. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. 
Case IH, built by farmers. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey, Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting really- But the HPPD resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Brian mentioned there's a lot of stuff going on in fields out there. If you haven't extensively scouted your fields, I would strongly recommend that as soon as you physically can. Get out there. Take a look. Fly a drone over. Look at your satellite imagery now. We're seeing things show up. Lots of ways that you can, can take a look at fields because... Man, there's just so much variance out there, so many issues that have happened or could still be dealt with in some cases, so you want to get after it as soon as you can. Got Tony Wendler with us right now with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, uh, you know, it's all perfect in Iowa, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, everything from I did replant this week to I went out and scouted for spray and uh, got to go re-hit some areas to... Uh, some of the soybeans got uh, we got good control on the soybeans, but not as good a control on the weeds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's all well, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Well, okay, so let's talk about this. You talk about redoing planting, redoing spraying. It, it doesn't always go right the first time, but if you don't get out there and catch it soon, uh, then sometimes it gets to be too late to fix things. Yeah. Now it's a, yeah, got some weed escape looking at them, and uh, they're they're small enough we get control on them, so I need to get out there and get on top of that. And uh, hey, the planting dates are uh, rolling by, so get the get the seed in the ground, not in the bag. The uh, last pass or two I put in was mudded in. So uh, and by the same token, we're looking here as those waters drained out of the pond, the rest of the stuff is getting dry. Yes. So it uh, you got both ends right there in the same field. 
Well, and that's usually how it goes. I mean, there's not going to be 100% of every field is perfect. There's there's some spots out there that, that aren't quite as good or some soil type changes where, oh, you got a whole bunch more magnesium in some soil and it's, all, it's seemingly almost impossible not to create sidewall compaction. So about every gadget in the world has been tried and, and I know you tried a lot of things before you landed on the Germinator closing wheels too. Yes, yep. Uh, experimented with different stuff, different styles, you know, start off with the rubber tire to uh, the next ones and uh, uh, really tickled to death with the, the way the germinator works and uh, feedback how we are looking very competitive with the best products you'll find out there for closing furrows. Uh, the, uh, you know, like precision, uh, we are matching them and I'm really kind of tickled with that. Hey, let me ask uh, you this question, uh, we Tony. Uh, we had we had a number of guys this spring again that had long spikes on one wheel, sometimes both, and they're flipping seed out of the ground. What are they doing wrong? They've got their spike too close to the furrow. The uh, you know a lot, especially the older planters, they ran the rubber tires very close together. At the uh, between the tires, it's only like an inch apart. And if they put a uh, spiked wheel on one side and didn't space that out and then make sure that uh, in that type of scenario, you've got to actually have the furrow a little bit offset so it's uh, closer to the rubber tire. It's not centered anymore. And uh, that's the biggest thing. They just run that spike too close, especially with a long one. Um, And the other thing is if you're only running one spike, you're only getting half the advantage with uh, corn. Beans, you're going to get the seed and soil contact. If you, if you got that set, you're going to get your beans out of the ground. But your corn, you're not going to destroy the sidewall on one side, and that's going to hinder your total root ball development and uh, eventually influence your crop down the road. You, hey, Tony, you so, mentioned uh, seed to soil contact, too, and I, I see a lot of unevenness out in fields. Some of that was they didn't get consistent seed to soil contact and there were seeds out there that didn't get that soil pressed around them well enough that they just laid there for a while waiting for the next rain. Yes, very much so. The um, Just talking with a guy out in Indiana this week on, on that topic and uh, he didn't have his down pressure as much as I would have put on it. And I uh, we talk all the time about digging that was a factor that if he would have spent a little more time digging, I think he wouldn't have had the issue. But uh, the, uh, the all the neighbors go in the first notch, and that's where he thought he needed to be in, in talking with them. Should have been experimenting, going the second notch, uh, seeing what kind of seed soil that would have generated. Uh, would he eliminate all of his air pockets, things like that. And uh, now it's frustrating. It's too late. The uh, you need to do that when you're out there planting. That's like we talk all the time. Digging is uh, very important. Well, and you mentioned too. There's variance from field to field, and even within a field, to do some checking to see how your planters responding to that. Because you only get one shot to to do it in that ideal timing window. So you want to make sure you're taking the best advantage of it. Talking with Tony Wendler yeah. here with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, thank you. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, take care. Thanks. Bye. Let's head north a little bit. We've got Andrew up in North Dakota with us right now. How you doing, Andrew? Good. How are you guys? 
Pretty good, man. We were really, really worried. We thought, there's no way you're going to get your crop in this year. You guys got too much snow. Winter's hanging around too long. But it seems like North Dakota got a lot of crop in the ground. Yeah, and we actually ended up being about a week earlier um, locally here where we're at than last year. So it all kind of ended up working out. It's amazing. It's amazing how fast that can change. So what what stage are the crops at now? What What's your best-looking crop right now? Um, the best-looking crop out there is probably corn. Um, sugar beets also look really good. Uh, just anything that got in early. The, early uh, the earlier the planted seemed to be better. We're, we're locally very dry, but it's really spotty. Um, from one mile to the next, you can get in- swings of half-inch to an inch of rain. Um, they're few and far between, so it, it's very spotty, but corn and sugar beets look the best. The wheat's really taken its toll. We had 80, 90 degree days in May, which is very abnormal, and that just pushed the wheat along. There's wheat that's shin high, knee high that's that's heading out right now, and it's the wheat's really going backwards. That's probably the worst looking crop of everything. Um, soybeans, there's some good looking soybean fields. There's some soybeans and edible bean fields that were planted on the later side that have really poor germination, poor stands. Um, so it, it is very spotty where you drive around our area. You know, you mentioned uh, some crops look really good, some don't look as good. That's one of the reasons that diversification is is kind of a nice thing. At least you uh, aren't, don't have all your eggs in the wheat basket this year. And you know, it looked like for a little bit wheat might that might be a great move. That wow, the prices are decent, and uh, at least we got the wheat crop in. But uh, yeah, that heat hasn't hasn't quite worked out for that crop the best. Uh, what's next on your farm? What what are you going to be working on this coming week? Um, well, I guess we've been busy spraying herbicide. Um, we got to spray uh, probably the second half of our wheat crop. We just finished spraying uh, the post-emerge for corn. Um, that's all. Most of the corn is all knee-high right now. Uh, it's, um, pinto beans, that's a big one that everyone's going to fire up next week to spray. Uh, sugar beets, they've, some are getting sprayed, some haven't. So it just kind of depends. There's a big swing of, of where crops are staged at, so... It, uh, it, it just is different farm to farm. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. Well, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a fun area to drive around and see with all the different crops and of course, different things going on. It keeps you busy all summer. You don't get much of a break. No, no. Come, come July too. It, we're pretty heavy on the fungicides on, on all the specialty crops, potatoes, sugar beets, edible beans. So there's, there's not much of a slow period. Yeah, it makes summer go fast, no doubt about it. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you, and good luck here. Hopefully uh, things keep going well. Thank you. Good luck to you, too, as well. You bet. We appreciate that. Hey, Brian, had an interesting question come in. Uh, this one is uh, from KF. Uh, just curious about cultivating corn. Does anybody do it anymore? You guys should make a video about that. Maybe that would inspire more people to go back to cultivating. Yeah, but why do we want to cultivate? It lets moisture out of the ground, and then you cut off corn roots so that was or whatever plant roots you're talking about so those were the downsides to it um yeah i i mean every farmer our age and older is very familiar with cultivating and i think for many of us we understand the reasons why we're not big fans of it but it does certainly fit in some areas and there are still some people that do it and if you want to great um it's just we have enough downside on our own farm We don't do too much of that anymore, or any. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Learn on the job with the CNB Apprenticeship Program. Through in-person training and on-the-job experience, this unique opportunity gives you the chance to learn advanced ag diesel technology without the traditional technical school format or expense. Learn more at cbequipment.com careers. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. we got Ryan on the line right now over in Minnesota. Wants to talk about fungicides a little bit. How you doing, Ryan? Good. How are you guys today? Good, good. All right, we're going to talk fungicides here in just a second. How about weed control? What are you seeing out in the fields? Are, are things working well, or are you, you heading out to spray some of the weeds too? Well, I actually just got out of the sprayer. Yeah, it was a little bit of a different um, thing for us this year. We gave the three pre's a try for the first time. Awesome. Um, in our area, we have quite a bit of giant ragweed pressure. Okay. So rather than um, authority, it is authority first. And overall, that did a pretty good job. Um, the 
the other thing we were trying new this year was coming back with Anthem Max to put a group 15 with residual down post in yep. teams. Yep. Um, and I think that's probably where our biggest issue is. Um, I was really kicking myself for not putting something else with that. We just didn't get a whole lot out of the cadet. Yep. And cadet really doesn't do much on ragweed from what I understand anyway, but it, it's kind of interesting. It's just a, a herbicide we haven't used around our area in a long time. And you know, there are places there were some like two inch tall water hemp that I sprayed and sprayed probably about two weeks ago. And it's interesting just going out there again, it's like they look healthy, but they haven't grown. <laughs> They're still two inches tall. So, so I don't know, that's kind of a strange one for me. Um, the plan is to come back for a final pass within list one here, probably in another two weeks or so, but just, just took the sprayer out and outlined a couple fields with some list duo, just some of those problem spots. But really, um, that giant ragweed is the one. And that was actually a, one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys. Like, aside from the liberty in, in list, is there anything else that, like, we could throw with that Anthem Max that has specific action on giant ragweed? I just can't think of anything. Okay, so this is one of the reasons, like, when we talk about that, that whole three pre thing, what we're usually saying is we go authority, metribuzin and a yellow. So the yellow isn't going to do much on your ragweed, but both authority and metribuzin have some activity. And then usually we'll encourage people save that first rate component for post. Because then if you were going, let's say Anthem Max first rate, well, now you got something. Otherwise, like on our farm, we did Warrant Ultra on some stuff rather than Anthem Max and Warrant Ultra because of the Flexstar in there. Flexstar is a little bit better than Cadet on ragweed. So that's another option for you. But yeah, I mean, Giant Ragweed is a tough one. And I, I know it's a, it, it seems to be a growing issue in Minnesota. But the good news is you're right. Enlist One, Liberty, things like that are not too bad on it. The key is getting it relatively small. So when you say you're going to wait two weeks, that might work out for you. You might have to spray a little sooner than that. I don't know. Um, you'll just got to have to see how things look. But that would be my only concern, I guess, is I'm just worried in a couple of weeks things might be starting to get big. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and the three previews did an excellent job. I mean, the places where we don't have a ton of ragweed pressure, the fields are spotless. Yeah, I've been great. really happy with that. Probably our typical would be like a dual two magnum with authority first pre, but we're sure. also using harness in the corn, so it's nice to break that up a little bit. Right. But yeah, I mean, Enlist and Liberty have been lights out on ragweed pretty well for us. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to look at the economics next year. I know when I've looked at first rate in the past, it's been fairly spendy. Right. Um, You're right. It's like, well, maybe we should just throw Liberty in, but that's good to know yeah. that that's maybe moving that um, post to be to be an option. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought up economics for next year, too, because we believe that Liberty and the generic is going to be way cheaper next year, like dramatically cheaper. So that will help. But I don't know how first rate's going to be. So if that and the generic is all of a sudden half the price, you know, it, it changes things. And every year we just we don't know. But I'm I'm excited for next year because I think we're going to see a lot of much more reasonably priced ag chemicals out there. Yeah, well, that would be welcome for sure. Yep. Um, the other question I had for you guys was around fungicide. So, yeah, a lot of new things happen on our farm this year. Um, typically, we don't spray fungicide on corn or beans. Okay. This year, I'm going to try both. We got ourselves a uh, 
self-propelled sprayer where I can spray something like Veltima at V10. So we're going to give that a try. And then Lucento on beans. Um, Now, being unfamiliar with those and listening to a few of your shows, like with a fungicide, you're going to want some kind of a of some kind of an adjuvant to help get it into the plant, correct? Like yep. I know what we need to be worried about arrested ear syndrome. Yep. Uh, yes. Typically, we use a, just a, a pretty generic fulvic acid, like bare bones fulvic acid. I also sure. know you guys have Nutex EDA. Yep. Um, Both of those are fine. There's much we need to be worried. Okay, so fulvic acid's pretty low risk. Yeah, yep. But yes, any adjuvant that's got APE or NPE in it. So usually what what people will tell you, agronomists will tell you is, hey, just find an adjuvant that's APE and NPE free and you should be in good shape. And there are there are more out there it seems like every year that way. But yeah, just a standard non-ionic or a standard crop oil or methylated seed oil, then you got to be concerned. Okay. And you know, if we just run our fulvic acid or Nutex EDA, is there really much need for anything else in terms of like spreader, sticker, or anything like that for the corn of the bean? Um, it will probably help a little bit, but it won't help as much if you have the other stuff in there. So uh, would I consider throwing some in? I probably would consider it. You could try a little bit, but yeah, a lot of times guys are just using fulvic or Nutex or something and then they call it good. Okay. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to giving it a try. I mean, like one of your other callers said, you know, stuff's just spotty. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of rain right after planting. So it's, it's one of those years where you definitely have the thought of like for some of these fields, is it worth pouring those extra dollars in? But for something like fungicide, especially to try it for the first time. But, you know, some of these years, they could be all the more important to get a few extra bushels. So it'll be interesting to do a couple strips and just see what the gain is. In, in our situation, yeah, like not having done it before. Yeah, and the thing is, it's early right now. And so I, a lot of people are kind of panicking because we haven't had a lot of rain. And don't get me wrong, I'm not super happy that we haven't had rain here either. We maybe had on a bunch of our fields like two inches since the first of March. It's terrible. But all of a sudden, it can turn around. We've had this many times before. And then July and August are super humid. We get just enough rain and there's disease. And especially where you're at in Minnesota, there's more chance of tar spot and some of the more harmful diseases coming in, even like soybeans, where we're seeing more frog eye leaf spot and things like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, at least trying some, I think, is absolutely the right way to go. And then then you'll know for sure. And especially when you can spray yourself, that really helps because now you're in control of the spray date. Um, and you're in control of how much water you're putting on, how big the crop is, everything, and then hopefully it's a little less expensive than having somebody else do it as well. Yeah, sure. Well, looking forward to giving it a try. All right. Well, hey, thanks for calling in, Ryan. Good luck to you. Yeah, thank you. You bet. All right, let's head down to Texas. Get Reggie on with us right now. How's it going, Reggie? Oh, it's going great. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Do you guys catching any rain down there, or are you hot and dry? No, uh, you know, we're south of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and, and we are in really good shape. We've, uh, we're about, you know, we like about 10% being done with wheat harvest, had excellent yields, and uh, we had about a 10-day window split between corn planting, so the early planted corn is already at uh, brown silt, looks pretty good. And then about a week ago or 10 days ago, we got 
some really nice rains, and that late-planted corn really needed a drink because we were getting into that uh, Texas summer heat in the 90s and, and stuff. And, and uh, so, yeah, our, our wheat's going to do well. Our corn's looking good now, and, and uh, we're waiting on a little bit of break in these thunderstorms and uh, spotted showers to start cutting hay for our second cutting. So it's just it, it's amazing the difference this year compared to last. And as I just heard you say, it's amazing, even in the last 30 days, how things have turned better instead of hotter and worse right here where we're located. Oh, that's awesome. That's really good to hear, Reggie. Yeah, it's fun fun when you get a good crop coming and uh, you get the right weather <laughs> to help support things. Now, now you actually need a little bit of dry. Finish up that wheat harvest and, and get that hay crop in. Yeah, as, as I was sharing with the neighbor, I said, you know, all I've got left to harvest the wheat is just the profit. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Hey, Reggie, thank you so much. Good luck to you. I, I, I'm really happy you guys are doing so well this year. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. The success of next year's harvest begins with this year's harvest. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. 360 Chain Roll is a simple replacement stock roll for your corn head. Chain Roll doubles the rate of stock breakdown. It crimps and cuts tough stalks to boost microbial activity and speed breakdown. And compared to chopping heads, it reduces emergence issues in next spring's crop. See 360 Chain Roll in action at 360yieldcenter.com. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we feel heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, 
a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we've got emails coming in, radio at agphd.com. Just before the break, we are talking to Reggie down in Texas. We got cut off there with a commercial break. Uh, Reggie, I understand you had a question, too. I do. Uh, we started using chicken litter, uh, and then we come back with our starter program on uh, uh, corn or cotton, and, and we're seeing some real benefit, it seems like, with plant health, uh, early bigger, when we use uh, humic acid in with that, since we, and it looks more like a complementary effect with the manure plus the humic. Is that something that across all the acres and all the, the country that you, are you guys seeing similar to that? Uh, not necessarily, no. So with humic acid, we see more response. So ba- let's put it this way. Humic acid is basically a part of soil organic matter. Okay, It's, it's kind of like the liquid coming out of soil organic matter. So for soils that are what we have found at least soils that are well balanced in terms of ph have high nutrient levels have high organic matter levels we're not seeing a whole lot of response out of humic acid but in sand in uh super tight soils and soils that have let's call it more challenges um then we're seeing more Uh response so I, I, I mean, where where you're at and where you're farming, you've got some real weather challenges and soil challenges and everything. So I, I guess I could certainly see that that, that pays. That we get more questions every year on humic and fulvic acid, so we know it's a growing thing. Our biggest challenge with it is just that it's not a – there's no real industry standard. So you don't know exactly what you're buying when you buy humic acid or fulvic acid. Somebody will say, oh, this is 20%. But in a lot of cases, they can just change the color of it and then it grades better and it has no more or less impact for you. So that's that, that, that in my mind, is the biggest issue moving forward with all these people that want to use humics and fulvics is you don't know for sure what you're buying. So I, I guess what we often say is try to find somebody reputable you normally deal with that you trust and go from there. Well, one of the things, we're a, an aged soil, like you mentioned, that's in the black land, so yep. it's a high pH, high clay content soil. Yep, yep. And uh, is there a way, is there tests that, I mean, we're testing the manure for the analysis, uh, we're doing soil samples, are there humic acid where you can buy some of that product, take a sample of it, send it to A&L or to a lab and, and get a reading from a lab to tell you what you have in that unit? You can get readings, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the same level of performance. And I know that may sound weird to you, but it's it's not like, uh, let's say you're going to buy a glyphosate product. You can test for how much active ingredient is truly in there. 
Uh, there's so much variation with humic acid that you, and a lot of times, they, I'm, I'm serious, they do a color test and I'm like, oh my goodness, literally you could go send coffee into, seriously, you could send coffee in into them and they'd say, oh yeah, that's a humic acid because of the color. So um, it can be tested, but I just don't trust the test, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you. I got you. Okay. Unfortunately. Well, one, one last thing. Sure. Just want to make a comment. We certainly rely on the Ag PhD Fertility app removal since we started using manure. Uh, we kind of discount the nitrogen because we have to put it on sure. under such hot conditions yep. uh, to get it worked in or, you know, with our strip till operation. But your Ag PhD uh, Fertility app is very beneficial to our operation, whether it's on our corn planting, our wheat, our grass hay crops, we really appreciate all the analytics that you guys did to put that in place because you even have our southern Bermuda hay crop on there. <laughs> we appreciate that. Thank you. You, you bet. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for calling thank in, Richie. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. I, I mean, there are a lot of these things that we have done or put together over the years where, I mean, and granted, we are trying to do it for everybody, but we're also looking at, okay, what problems do we have on our farm? What questions do we have in our farm? How could we get better answers or the right answers and then make that widely available to people? So that's where a lot of these things originally come from is, or it could be a farmer. I, I mean, we have calls every day and emails every day and people go, hey, we have this problem. And every once in a while we say, you know, we, we could actually do more with that and help more people, I think, with that. So Anyway, it was kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. I, I hate when people have problems, but I, I I feel good that we are at least here to hopefully give you some some advice and some, uh, well, basically, at least you can get another opinion from somebody. So that was one of the things that our dad talked about quite often when he used when he was growing up. He was farming with his family, and then he moved to South Dakota, and he was farming, well, basically, it was him and, my, him and our mom. Well, it's a little different when your dad's not there, your brother's not there. You don't have people to bounce ideas off of. So anyway, for, for any of that, we're here for you. If you've got questions, anything else that, uh, that you want to bounce off us, send us an email, give us a call, whatever. Uh, we have quite a few years of experience, and we have been working with people all over the world. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think Janelle's on the phone there, Darren. So just just go ahead. She she'll play the music in the next segment. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. This one comes in from Lucas, and he's in northern Oklahoma. So guys, I got a field of Milo planted around the first of May here in northern Oklahoma, and I put two hundred pounds of urea down a week before planting, and it got a nice two inches of rain shortly after. Now since emergence, the crop has had fifteen inches of rain. It's small and not dark green like usual. The field's varying with CECs ranging from 5 to 20. Ooh, the 5's concerning. The weather has also been cooler than normal. So how worried should I be about leaching of that nitrogen? Could this Very. be just from wet and cool weather that the crop looks bad? And will the roots eventually hit fertilizer? Wondering if I should soil sample or what other steps I could take. Well, first of all, 92 pounds is not of actual N, because that's what 200 pounds of urea is. It's 92 pounds of actual N. That's not a lot. You're not going to have this amazing milo crop with that, unless there was carry-in nitrogen 
or unless your soil organic matter is going to release a whole bunch. But when you tell me you got a 5 CEC in some of this ground, you're getting nothing, almost nothing out of that for nitrogen, and you have almost no holding ability. So in the in the light areas, your nitrogen's almost for sure gone with that much rain. So you can test, but I'm just telling you your odds are slim. In your heavy ground, I probably would test, but you know the problem with this testing and waiting and all that stuff is you got another week where your crop's going to suffer. Honestly, in my opinion, I think your crop needs nitrogen and sulfur, and I'd put at least a little bit out there to get you by for a while while you're waiting for some tests to come back if you want to do a little bit of testing. But yeah, it, it doesn't sound good to us. You need nitrogen and most likely sulfur. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. Uh, and good luck to you there. Uh, Brian, we had uh, this come in from PD out in Idaho. He said, listening to your micronutrient program that you had recently, and you're saying tissue tests are not predictive like a soil sample might be. Right. What about the ratios on tissue samples? You're looking at 30 to 1 phosphorus to zinc on soils. Do you do the same thing on tissue samples? The reason I'm asking, I'm doing a series of tissue sampling every Monday for the year on two different fields, trying to get a better understanding about inbreds, tissue tests, uh, and how they correlate to soil tests. I don't remember what we talked about for a ratio on that. I apologize. There, there's a little something we've looked at, and maybe during this break, I'll try to get you the answer. I'll go back through my notes quick. But I, I, I'm not that focused on that. I really am not. We're using tissue tests more to kind of see throughout the course of the year. Did it look like we were low quite often on something or high quite often on something? Uh, so we're usually not looking at ratios nearly as much in tissue tests as we are soil tests. All right. Thanks for the question, Petey. We appreciate that. And uh, kudos to you for getting out trying to learn more about your fields and, and about the inbreds and so forth that you're planting by pulling tissue samples each week. We learned a lot of lessons over the years doing that too. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back with more after this. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. 
We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from FarmShop MFG. Learn more at FarmShopMFG.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. It's Farmer Friday on today's Ag PhD radio show, so really, the whole show is kind of an Ag PhD Mailbag show where we're taking calls and questions via email, radio at agphd.com, or on our phone lines, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Lane with us right now down in Nebraska. How you doing, Lane? Hey, Darren, I'm doing okay. Uh, we're sitting about that two inches of rain just like you guys were since the 1st of March. So I, I tell you what, that, what uh, that drought monitor does not look good for your state. It's uh, it's the worst I've ever seen in 40 years of farming. So, yep, it's pretty tough. But uh, we got all of our post um, herbicide on, the corn and the beans. And so was out looking at the soybeans um, last few days. And uh, we had... Um, we had committed to putting down mega grow with our roundup, but we also have extend beans. And last week I heard you guys talking about not stacking, uh, the PGRs. Uh, so with that Camba in the extend and the mega grow for the soybeans, am I, am I running up against a problem with that? Plus we use status about four and a half ounces of status in the corn and 22 ounces of roundup. And so I use Mega Grow with that too. Not seeing any effects on the corn, but what am I facing with uh, stacked PGRs? Yeah, we're we, uh, we're probably stress conditions. Yeah, we're probably going to generally encourage you to avoid stacking PGRs. It's it, it's mm-hmm. probably not going to hurt you, but we want to be on the safe side. So with with many of these growth regulator herbicides like dicamba, what they're trying to do is grow the plant to death. And so when you throw even more home hormones in there and the plant's already getting, it's, it's being pushed by the herbicide. And then on top of that, you got warm weather conditions, which is pushing the plant. It's, it's a lot for that plant to handle. 
So that that's really why we, we're a lot of times going to back off on certain things as the weather heats up. It's also why, for example, you'll see better performance out of dicamba when it's hot, but then you also have to, on the flip yeah. side, worry more about drift and things like that. So there are always these trade-offs. Yeah, and the, the drift wasn't a problem. I mean, Good. I spray our own stuff, and so we were watching the, the directions. But what I'm noticing right now in the soybeans is that is that next trifoliate trying to come out? It's pretty well cupped up and seems to be pretty tight. Is that a PGR effect or is that just the stress of the weather and what we're facing? The other trifoliates look great. I mean, they're stretching out, but it's that next one to come out that's pretty tight. Um, yeah, that very well could be the stress of the year. I mean, it has been hot. It has been dry in a lot of areas. Uh, humidity levels have been pretty low. So it's, it's pushing yep. these plants. I, I will say this though, with soybeans early on, like in, here in June, they don't mind a little bit of stress. So a lot of times mm-hmm. when it's dry there, we find people are ready to give up by the 4th of July and it's like, whoa, no, no, no. You can still have amazing yield. Even in 20, mm-hmm. 2012 on our farm, we had one of the hottest years you know, on record and we had no rain from, I think it was the 3rd of May to like July, I'm going to say 29th. Literally no rain. And we still had averaged, I think it was 50, I don't know, 52, 57 bushel beans, something like that, because we got rain in late July and in August. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, if, if you would have said, if it was the 4th of July and our dad was still alive, that if if you would have told him, I'll give you 50 cents on the dollar for your crop, he probably would have taken it. I wasn't that <laughs> pessimistic, but there were a lot of people right. that were, and, and we turned out okay. So, yeah, so I'm just trying to say, don't get too discouraged because the beans don't look that great. Now, corn... Uh, pretty soon here, we're we're getting into a super critical stage, if not if not even there right now. So we got to have some rain here for for corn on dry land. Yeah, I took some soil samples this morning just to see what nitrates might still be out there. Yep. And yeah, there was good moisture in between the rows, but I took some samples just right in the row, and and you could definitely tell the the moisture content was a lot less where those roots are growing. Yeah. So yeah. All right, gonna, guys. Hey, yep. appreciate it. You bet. Thanks a lot. All right, Brian, uh, I know we've had a few of these come in. Uh, soybean, my new soybean leaves are yellow. Could calcium-magnesium ratio be involved? This comes from Russ. He said the bottom three tests are new ground, so putting down lots of P, K, and micros. My pH is high, but I haven't done anything to bring that down yet. Our drainage is actually not bad out here. It's hard to put enough magnesium down to really impact the ratios. Well, honestly, that's what I was going to say. That when when you show me the pictures, I hadn't yet seen the soil test, and I go, ooh, yeah, that almost does look like magnesium. The only thing is a lot of times we'll see it more on the lower leaves of the plant. So that's where I'm just questioning, is that actually a magnesium deficiency or not? I, so, yeah, I'm just trying to look at these leaves a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, you're really low on potassium. You're really low on magnesium. But like I say, those are more on the lower leaves of the plant first. So upper leaves, we see more things like some of the micronutrients and sulfur. And uh, I'm just trying to think too, could it possibly be a little carryover issue? I mean, there are a lot of things that we could be dealing yeah, with HPPD here. HPPD carryover, a lot of times you'll see those outside edges of the leaves turn right. color first. 
So yeah, I'd look back at what past history was. Now, if you get new ground, it's hard to do sometimes, but yep. if you can find out what was sprayed out there, perhaps you you know if there was a custom applicator, you could ask, hey, what was sprayed out there, or, or if you know the previous renter or owner. Now, this brings me to something that we were talking about uh, earlier, just that it's a lot of times not just one thing. So in other words, let's say that it is some HPPD carryover. Would it be as bad if you had your base saturation potassium at 4 to 8%, your magnesium at 12 to 20%, if you had your sulfur levels up 20 to 40 parts per million instead of 7, uh, you know, your copper up at 2 or 3 instead of a half a part per million, things like that. So, I, I mean, I would argue that it would be better. I mean, it's it may, you may still have some issue, but yeah, there are a lot of nutrient things here that, that need to get addressed. You've got a... a fair amount of calcium or a good amount of calcium out there, but almost everything else is, I hate to say it, but it's, it's, it's pretty low other than, I mean, you have good manganese levels, um, and, and decent iron levels and stuff, but I mean, most everything else you need more of even phosphorus. I mean, you've got several areas in the field that are, are quite low on phosphorus. So, yep, you just, you gotta, gotta keep working on, on everything there. I'm not a hundred percent sure what that is. Uh, it, did initially when I, I thought magnesium, but yeah, the more I look at it, it is it is just those upper leaves, isn't it? So, yeah, I yeah. I I I I'd see what else you can come up with, maybe. Yeah, and see if there's any patterns out there. See if there's yep. some different spots in the field that look a little bit different, and that might help you right. dial in and exactly what the main cause is. Yep. Thanks for the for the question. Good luck. I got this one from Lucas. He said, I'm in North Alabama, about to start wheat harvest. I'll be baling the straw and then double planting uh, or double cropping beans as soon as those bales come off. My question is, should I come behind the planter and spray Gramoxone and the three pre's before the beans emerge? Or is it getting it too late in the year where I might risk carryover into corn that I intend to plant next spring? I have pigweed, cockleburr, ryegrass, and volunteer wheat. Normally our post includes Roundup, Ingenia, and a group 15. What do you guys think? Tell, tell me again the weeds. It's North Alabama. We've yep. got pigweed and cockleburr. Yeah, pigweed. Yeah, that's that's the real problem. Okay, so let's talk about the three pre's quick. You got yellow. Um, if you go prowl, then that doesn't have as much carryover risk, but you can you can go a little bit lower rate. You could go two and a half pints, for example. But you're in Alabama, so I'm not going to worry about season. right. I'm not going to worry about carryover a whole lot. So personally, if it's me, I'm not cutting the rate. Uh, otherwise, Authority they tried to get a label once on corn, and Valor only has a one month restriction to corn. So I'm really not worried about those and Metribuzin. There's no way that's carrying over. So. No, no, no real big concern there. Okay. Uh, I get this one in from Gary then, Northeast Iowa. He said, at first application at V4, we put on a fungicide, a post-emerge herbicide, and gibberellic acid at V4. The corn is growing fiercely upwards with leaves appearing more narrow than normal and a lot of rolling. Now, I'm not planning on using this for silage. I'm trying to get grain. I'm a little concerned. Is the plant going to grow itself to death with diminishing moisture? We have great soil structure and pattern tile. It's a good thing you're not going for silage because we've had this experience. This is a third year in a row now where in June our corn's rolled up from lack of moisture. We have just have had drought and we still have had 200 to 265 bushel yields the last three years or last couple of years. So I'm hoping we get that again this year. 
I mean, if you don't get rain ever, yeah, you got a real problem. But no, I wouldn't get too worried today. So you start getting rain soon and you'll be just fine. Thanks for that question. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.